0: This is Fate's Wide Wheel, a Quantum Leap podcast with Sam and Dennis. Every week, we review an episode of the cult classic time travel series and decide whether it holds up to present day viewing, and hopefully we'll entertain you along the way. Be sure to check us out on our website, FWWQuantumLeapPod.com, and also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under Fate's Wide Wheel. And be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Hello, everybody. Hello. Welcome to week seven hundred and eighty-three of Shelter <laughs> of <No, I'm kidding. laughs> a shelter,
0: a shelter in Place. Uh, Happy Easter Sunday.
1: Happy Easter Sunday. We are
0: recording this on Easter Sunday, sheltered yeah. in place.
1: Even and you know, regardless of, of, of what your religion or non religion may be, we still want to share the sentiment of rebirth and renewal with with all um, it certainly feels like a, a time when we when we need it. We need to be reminded that um, we can come out uh, of this, and 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 things will never be what they were again. You know, there's the, sure, there's not yeah. going to be like a return to normal or anything. It's certainly going to be a um, a different world when we do come yeah. out of it. But uh, absolutely, but yeah, we will come out of it.
0: We will come out. So in case you're listening to this way, way, way in the future, we Ooh. recorded this back in 2020 during the first pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's cold. Yeah. Betsy and I joke about that all the time. Like, this is this is just the first one. More and more. No, no, no. Kidding. Kidding.
1: Yeah. 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 It's, you know, Dennis and I were just talking off mic about the impact that all of this is having. Um, on our families and um, you know certainly on our kiddos and, and just having to figure out ways to entertain and explain to you know kids that are young too young to really understand that and 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 furthermore too young to really express their own frustrations and fears in a way that, you know, a non-educated childcare professional probably would understand sure, and be capable yeah. of dealing with on a regular basis. So it's it's definitely been, you know, different. There's not there's not been a lot of binge watching in this household. Let me just put it that way. <laughs> that, uh, you know,
0: we were talking about that off mic. No, like we have our shows that we we'll sit down. Like tonight, we will sit down and we we'll watch Outlander. Totally. Um, you know, we have our our, our shows that we like to tune tune in for. Uh, Tiger King we tried to get into that I the memes are great I just cannot I cannot with that show
1: So here's the thing I you know what I have a microphone I have people that listen I'm just going to I'm just going to take a moment here and I, take and a I moment. sincerely want your feedback on this So before I I have watched a few episodes because there there came a point when I was so against it that I felt like if I didn't at least watch it that I would just be one of those you know people Screaming into the wind without really knowing what they were talking about. Sure. Yeah. Um, but as I've watched it, it really has made me feel like I was I, I was right uh, in a lot of ways. Um, not not every way, but I. It made me feel uncomfortable in the same way that I felt uncomfortable after I'd listened to all of S Town. That I that the podcast S Town. Yes. 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 We're. You couldn't help but think in a world where so many people want to raise awareness about mental health and want to provide people with the help that they need if they are struggling with mental health issues, that we are, in essence, glorifying and getting some sort of weird schadenfreude out of these people who clearly have deep-seated issues. And, and not just the people who are the stars of the show, if you will, but the people that they are hiring uh, yeah, marrying, um, you, you know, the, the, it, it's it's so strange. and never, never once did I truly feel like, with the exception of the episode that delves into the disappearance of Carol Baskin's first husband, I never once felt like I was watching something that approached the topic with any sensitivity or true intrigue. I literally just felt like I was watching the 21st century version of a circus freak show. And I would like to think that we no longer need that to feel good about ourselves, but apparently some people do. And it really, really upset me and it bothered me because I felt like these people were being taken advantage of and their true deep-seated issues were being marginalized at the expense of, like I said, schadenfreude. Yeah. And the thing is, I think
0: more people would be saying what you're saying right now if we weren't in the situation that we are right now that i know I, well I, I know so many people who would share that same opinion that you just expressed and they would be deriding the show right now but like i see them on social media and they are like totally eating this show up yeah and um, yes, and I S Town was exactly the same thing that I thought of, like watching the the couple episodes. Which by the way, yeah. I think I told you we, um, me, Betsy, uh, Scotty, and Catherine. We totally binged most of S Town on the way to and from <laughs> your
1: your wedding, yeah, yeah, in Indianapolis along that drive. Which the thing is, is it starts out, and I feel like even more so than Tiger King because at least with Tiger King it never it never pretends to be anything it's not. I feel like the first few episodes of S-Town especially were a case of like this weird sort of manipulative gonzo journalism where, you know, they tried to tell you it was something that it really wasn't and by the time you got to the back end of the podcast, you just were you felt like this person had been taken advantage of in so many oh, ways. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And and, and and this invasive, like, destruction and and deconstruction of who they were and their privacy, which is the same thing that I feel like has happened to a degree on Tiger King. Now, I guess the argument could be made with Tiger King that these people wanted the celebrity and the notoriety. But either way, it still feels like some sort of weird, I don't know, reveling in the pigsty of mental illness in order to make ourselves feel better or something. I don't know. Yeah. And there's a little, uh, there's a little
0: bit of, uh, uh, class tourism, poverty cool. tourism. Like, even oh, though like, 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 yes. like, like, like Joe and Carol, like, even though they are poor, like they're, they're kind of in that, that, you know, that, that Southern world where yep. you, where you kind of assume that everybody is, is stupid and probably, poor and just on the verge of being poor or or, or they're lucky to have pulled themselves out of being poor yeah
1: well and especially the people that worked for Joe like seeing them and hearing from them and hearing their stories you're just kind of like yeah sure you need a shower afterwards or something I don't know Um, yeah
0: But anyway, Um, speaking
1: of, to bring
0: it around, speaking
1: of the South... Yes. (laughs) And there is a Southern Gothic element of the storyline, which I get. But anyway, speaking of the South and Southern Gothic, we are here this week. Uh, We are in Season 5. We're deep in it. We are talking about... I didn't stutter on purpose, by the way. That actually just happened. I didn't want to to no, think I was like, affecting a Will <laughs> Kinman or something. Uh, yeah. It just happened. But we are here to talk about Trilogy Part 1, which was subtitled One Little Heart. It's episode 80 of Quantum Leap. Our director is James Whitmore, Jr., um, and, of course, he is a name that we are very familiar with. He's worked on the show numerous times, um, going all the way back to... Uh, I believe early, hang on, it's right here in front of me. Um, early in season two, yes, with Jimmy. Um, he would also go on to do Leap of Faith, Great Spontini, Rebel Without a Cause, Eight and a Half Months, Piano Man, Nuclear Family. And really at this point in the show, after Nuclear Family, he really gets into the big kind of big episodes, because he did Leap for Lisa, Lee Harvey Oswald, all three episodes of Trilogy, Memphis Melody, you know, take it or leave it as a big episode, uh, and of course the final episode, Mirror Image. He also has a uh, sort of cameo, I suppose you could say, in the episode as the Mirror Image of Sheriff Clayton Fuller, um, which is uh, interesting for a couple of reasons. Uh, We are uh, being given lines that were written by Deborah Pratt, um, Deborah Pratt, of course, uh, her fingerprints are all over Quantum Leap, um, was not only uh, Troyan in Portrait for Trojan and, of course, our, our narrator and the voice of Ziggy, um, but has written numerous episodes throughout the course of the uh, uh, run of the show, um, no fewer than 20 episodes, um, some of which include Starcross, The Color of Truth, which, interesting enough, has the exact same leap date as Trilogy Part 1, um, she would also do Another Mother, Her Charm, Black and White on Fire, uh, Last Dance Before Execution, Shock Theater, um, Song for the Soul. Most recently, she did the previous episode, Deliver Us from Evil. She'll go on to write the rest of Trilogy, Liberation, and her final episode will be Revenge of the Evil Leaper. Um, our air date was November 17th, 1992, so we are in the fall sweeps window, um, which would explain why this episode aired when it aired. Uh, our leap date, of course, as I mentioned, is August 8th, 1955, which is the same leap date as The Color of Truth. Sam is leapt into Sheriff Clayton Fuller, and we are in Potterville, Louisiana.
0: Potterville, Louisiana. TV Guide Description. <laughs> Sam is a small-town sheriff whose young daughter has a suspicious connection to a mysterious death. And uh, in other countries, let's see what this was known as. Uh, In Germany, it was known as Das Medallion.
1: Okay.
0: The medallion. The locket, I assume. Um, In France, it was known as the Little Lost Heart.
1: La Petite Corpodue.
0: Yeah. And in uh, Italy, it was known as Trilogy One, A Face in the Flames.
1: You know, I, one oh. of the things that I will say about those foreign titles, uh, just real quick, is that I, I like how, um, in particular, the Italian and the German uh, titles point out other elements, you know, mm-hmm. of the plot, um, which, is, which is interesting.
0: Yeah, and it was, uh, I mean, I've seen it in a lot of, uh, like, commemoration, commemoration books, memorabilia, like the, like the Quantum Leap book. Uh, this part was known as One Little Heart. Um, maybe put it in some TV guide description somewhere. And the whole trilogy was promoted on TV as the daughter of sin.
1: Daughter of sin.
0: They're kind of, they're, they're kind of, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> they're kind of, um, and we'll talk about this as, uh, as we talk about through the, today's episode, um, intentional or not. This episode
1: tips its, uh, hat very strongly to the bad seed. Yes. 1950s movie. Have you seen that? I've not seen it Um, I'm I'm familiar enough with it I think I recall actually reading the play at some point believe it or not oh I forgot it was a play yeah yeah it was a play before it was the movie it all happened in very quick succession actually Though the the novel was written in 54 the play was released later that same year and then the film was uh, filmed in late 55 and released in in 56 Um, so like really quick trajectory as far as getting it to the theaters and it's been remade twice since uh, two television films two television movies the latest one it was just a couple of years ago that Rob Lowe directed and starred in. Uh, interesting. Okay. And I know when I asked
0: Betsy last night if she had seen The Bad Seed before, she said that she had seen The Good Son. Oh, sure. Macaulay Culkin, which I think probably owes a little bit of debt to The Bad Seed. But whereas uh, I, I think with The Good Son, like you know throughout the entire movie that Macaulay Culkin's character is, is, is an evil yeah. child. Whereas... In The Bad Seed, it's kind of like this first part of Trilogy here. It's implied that maybe the girl is evil, but I don't think it's exactly spelled out until the end of the movie because you never actually see the child do any of the things.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you're right, though. At the end, it is made explicit. And it's interesting because uh, the... Uh, full spoilers for The Bad Seed, the novel and the play shared the same ending, which was that in the end, the little girl ends up murdering her mother and and getting away with it, basically. Uh, Whereas in the film version, the censors made them change that, and so they had to reverse it because the, the, the idea that American film censor at the time said that you couldn't have a villain get away with it um, uh, which was always the one thing that people were fascinated by with It's a Wonderful Life because of course Mr. Potter being the villain he basically gets away with stealing the money from the Bailey building alone, which gave rise to the famous SNL skit but anyway uh, uh, in the movie they had to change the ending uh, where the girl actually dies instead um, and they did this really weird thing in the credits where the actor playing the mother and the actor playing the daughter yeah she like spanked her uh, on her knee but they were both laughing about it as if, like, the idea behind it, I guess, was that, to, to let the audience know, like, this is just a fictional story. Ha ha, yuck, yuck, we're just, this is just jokes, you know. But, man, it's weird. <laughs> it's so weird. I
0: had forgotten about that, but I remember that. That reminds me of, like, when you go to see a really dark, disturbing play, I hate when they have curtain calls. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I should be like, no, that's it. Show's over. No bows. No applause. Get out.
1: Yeah. We yeah. disturbed you. Leave. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. Curtain calls. Anyway. Um, anyway, so, let's <laughs> jump back
0: in. So as you pointed out, this has the exact same leap day as Color of Truth. And we're in Louisiana, uh, Potter, Louisiana. I'm not sure if Potter, Louisiana actually exists. Redbone, Alabama is where Sam is in. In Color of Truth Yeah They're probably Sam is probably as close to himself <laughs> In another capacity In both timing Because there ha, there have been some leaps where he over Where there's like a couple of days overlap Right Before But I think this may be the first time It's the exact same leap date And geographically He is He's is very close Yeah To himself
1: Yeah I Um I can't find, uh, a Potterville, uh, Louisiana, by the way, just, just for, for verification. But yeah, I was thinking the same thing earlier, actually, that, uh, not only is he on the same day, uh, but yeah, proximity, um, he's, he's, you know, in time is also kind of, um, mirrored by his proximity and location. Uh, the other thing that's interesting to note, of course, is that this would be Sam Beckett's second birthday. Um, so he has two, two leaps. Uh, on the same date, which is his birthday, his second birthday, and, you know, in these southern towns. um, Vastly different stories. um, (laughs) Written by the same, you know, uh, screenwriter, but uh, I think whereas The Color of Truth is certainly more of a social justice commentary, melodrama hour of television, this fits, you know, right in that sort of southern gothic um, just so operatic kind of um, world. And it's interesting, as I thought about this many times as I was watching the episode, uh, trying to, you know, kind of judge the, the quality, if you will, and critique it. And it was very difficult for me to do. And I think part of the reason why is it's so atmospheric and the Southern Gothic elements of the episode are so well done and oh, I think, just as much to, like, William Faulkner and Flannery O'Connor and Carson McCullers as they do to something like The Bad Seed But that there is, there was this part of me that started to ask towards the end of the episode: Would I think as highly of this if it wasn't an episode of Quantum Leap? And whereas Black and White on Fire, Color of Truth, Good Night Dear Heart, I could absolutely answer that question: Yes. I'm still kind of scratching my head, thinking: Would I? Would I consider it as good if it wasn't Quantum Leap? If this were just a regular hour of television? And I haven't yet. Figured out an answer, so I'm hoping that our discussion today can can kind of yield an answer for me. Because as an episode of Quantum Leap, I think it's incredibly strong. Divorced from Quantum Leap, do I think it's just an incredibly quality hour of television? I don't know. Mm.
0: Well, to address that, let me back up a little bit. And to address, um, so you said both of these episodes, uh, this and Color of Truth, are written by Deborah Pratt. History and Color of Truth. We talked about this in that episode. She really pushed you to do that episode in the first season, which it was. Right. Belisario did not want to do that episode in the first season. He thought that was a season two or season three episodes, or, or season three episode, because he did not think the audience was ready to see Sam as a black man. And luckily, the head of NBC was on Pratt's side, and they did the episode in the first season. This trilogy of episodes was originally going to be at the end of the third season. We would have had something like this sooner in the series.
1: Yeah.
0: And this touches on, and I've, and I've said this before in, in previous episodes, as much as I love Quantum Leap, I think it would have ultimately had been a stronger show if Deborah Pratt had more creative control throughout the run. And I yeah. feel... Belisario held the show back in a lot of ways because he did not trust the audience. Now, as far as this specific episode, I think this episode is maybe the weakest of the three mm. episodes. But I think that may just be the nature of it's, it's a trilogy, so it's kind of setting up the world yeah. to pay off. With episodes two and episodes three. So I can kind of give this first episode a pass. And I'll also throw this in here. I'm surprised that they didn't start doing episodes like this earlier in the series. Because I think oh
1: gosh, yeah.
0: had, the show, had the show gone on, they would have probably done more two, three part episodes like this. And I'm surprised that they didn't start doing it earlier because it seems from a production standpoint, it would be a money saver. Because you get to build a world, you get to build sets and costumes or whatever, and instead of just spending one episode in this world, you get to spend two or three episodes in the world, and you save some money on production costs. So I'm surprised that they didn't start doing this earlier in the series.
1: I I totally agree with you, and I think that one of the things that I neglected to factor in to my thought process is that it would be unfair to judge this episode separate from Quantum Leap on its own, because it is indeed just the first part of the story. And so I think that there is no answer to my initial question, because it is just the beginning. And whereas I can still look at it and say, I like this as an episode of Quantum Leap, I don't necessarily have to make the you know any sort of like quality or value judgment on it based on its storytelling, separate from that, um, because there are going to be two more parts. I think that you know the thing that kind of reminded me of um, that I was reminded of why, as you were talking about if they had done more of this, and I agree they should have done more of this, um, it made me think of Star Trek Enterprise. We're not a Star Trek podcast, I know. it <laughs> Well, all right. Getting They're, from I, there. Their theme song from the beginning was like the Season 5 theme from Quantum Leap. It was just shit from the get-go, you know? You, you know
0: what? I'm, I'm going to throw this out there. You know what's worse than Season 5 Quantum Leap theme song or worse than the theme from Enterprise? Oh, boy. What? The theme and opening credits to Picard. Fight me. Fight me, Larry Ganny. Come Ooh. at me. Those, See, are the o- those are the only—that is the only Star Trek opening credit theme that every time I'm like, skip, 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 I don't care, skip, long, boring, pretentious skip.
1: I, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I like it. I think it's more meditative. I think it's more reflective of the show at the beginning. I have not finished it yet, and I will certainly say that this show, the first three or four episodes of the show are— from what I have read and heard feel very different from the back end of the show and I don't know how I'm going to feel about that yet but anyway my point was going to be that with Enterprise the final season they started doing more two and three part episodes and fans really really were enjoying them and thought that it gave them an opportunity to tell bigger stories and to do it in a way that seemed more in line with, the, with how television had been moving and certainly even with how you know, Deep Space Nine had functioned over its last few seasons, and with the way Voyager had had, you know, two episode, uh, uh, a lot of two parters, and even multi episode arcs that went beyond two parts, and that, you know, third season of, of Enterprise aside, that had kind of its overall season arc, mm-hmm. the way that they were telling stories in that final season gave the stories a real chance to breathe in a lot of ways and how many times have you and i commented on quantum leap that it would have been nice to spend a little more time in a certain location or with certain characters and i think that i think that today you know if there is a reboot it would behoove them to do something like that to spend more time on leaps and 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 it would give them an opportunity to really let those stories breathe i think that one of the things we'll be talking about two episodes from now, when we get to the end of this, is that the the entire trilogy benefits so much from the world building that can take place, from the community, from the you know the fact that the town and these family dramas and these secrets start to you know really have a, a long term impact. It's not a case of you learn something in you know act two that. Pays off in Act Three, and then the episode's over. This is something where you get to have, you know, really strong divides because of the decades, you know, moving. But at the same time, you're still living in the same world. And I think that the device of having Sam leap into different people and the circumstances of his leap out, you know, his his, his leaps out are are really uh, uh, intriguing. Um, so, it, as I was reading about. Deborah Pratt saying that this was, uh, well, not even saying it was it was contemporary. She was saying that this was something they were doing in season three. Um, it would be very interesting to, to know what she thinks now, you know, looking back, um, knowing that she was excited to do it in season three. Uh, I will say that apparently, based on some of the stuff that I read, it sounds like the initial idea for the trilogy was Belisario's, that he wanted to do something like this, now how much of the actual story was his, I don't know. He basically, you know, told Deborah Pratt to go off and write it. It feels like this was all Deborah Pratt. Like maybe maybe Belisario was like, you know what would be cool is if we did a three parter and Sam was, you know, in the fifties, sixties and seventies and he leaped into a different person each time, but he was in the same town or there was, you know, something. Maybe there's a murder mystery. Maybe that was all he gave her, because everything else about it feels very much Deborah Pratt.
0: Feels very much so. And I was reminded of that in the, the opening dialogue in the first scene between Sam and uh, the deputy sheriff, Bo. Bo yeah. And just like, you know, as, as, they're, you know, as they're carrying uh, Bart Ader, as they're carrying the body, just the, the entire conversation as they're in the, you know, we, we can't take him to the dock because Doc's out somewhere delivering 16, 17 kids, whatever. Ah, Cajuns, you know.
1: Yeah, his casual <laughs> racism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: And it, it's just um, already, like, right from the beginning, like, it. The world feels very lived in, and like this is its own TV show, like its own little world. And this, the entire feel of this, just kind of has a feel of early '90s television and the heat of the night. Yes, other show, other shows like that. Like I could totally imagine, like this, you know, this, you know, Pottersville, Louisiana, just being the subject of another entire TV series that Sam just happens to pop into.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, I completely agree, and I think that the other thing that we get right off the bat, it's like, there, there is no disguising or masking the southern gothic vibe of this episode, and I don't think that was the intent at all anyway, but right from the get-go, you know, I mean, we're, we're like in a swamp, there's a dead body, you know, Sam is standing there with the oar, uh, I love the leap in, I think it creates a a great, you know, narrative mystery right off the bat, right off the oar, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so, so I think that there's, there's this great atmosphere There's this great you know, hook um, and, 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 it, and it propels itself nicely um, Stephen Lee is the actor who plays Bo Unfortunately he's no longer with us But he's someone that uh, I think is very easy to recognize um, He uh, had, uh, up until uh, Quantum Leap And then of course long after Had been in numerous uh, television programs uh, and films um, you know, just to name a, a few you know, early on in his career he started off uh, with Heart to Heart, Remington Steel um, he would go on to do uh, you know, guest spots in various shows looks like he had his first uh, uh, recurring role on Gung Ho um, uh, films he played the big bopper in La Bamba actually um, he had done um, uh, a small part in RoboCop 2 um, some soap opera work here and there Uh, He was also in a couple of episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, I literally just watched uh, two days ago uh, an episode of Babylon 5 that he is in. I'm doing a Babylon 5 rewatch right now. Um, So lots of genre shows, lots of mysteries, lots uh, of comedies. I mean, really all over the place. Clearly a versatile actor um, could do a a lot of different things um, and and fairly recognizable. Um, Later in his career, Dark Angel, Nash Bridges, ER, Grey's Anatomy, Boston Legal. uh, His last appearance all due respect to those who have passed was in a film called burlesque which may be one of the worst movies ever made so oh no well he unfortunately he... went out on kind of a low note but, hey. but before that oh, hey, he got paid pay. he got paid
0: god damn it he, he got he got a paycheck and that's what And that's what matters.
1: And he's great in this. And one of the things that's interesting about his role in this episode, and and is a testament, I think, to the story that is being told over all three episodes, is that he gets a lot of screen time up front, and then he kind of disappears. We don't see a lot of him throughout the rest of the episode. And, you know, spoiler alert, he comes back, Mm -hmm. so we will see him again. So I think it's actually a really great idea because it, it, it immediately we know who this person is. So when we see him again, there's been this wonderful setup done. We don't need to be reintroduced to him or anything like that. But he's not essential to the plot of this episode in particular. So I, I thought that was really well uh, uh, done as well. A uh, good choice on Deborah Pratt's part.
0: I do. I like the, this first scene with Sam. I like his scene later on when Lita... Goes after Abigail in the sheriff's office, yeah. and it's just like this this little bit of subtle comedy throughout the scene of of, of uh, what's the sheriff of Stratton. Oh yeah, W.K. Stratton is played by oh W.K. Stratton plays Lawrence Stanton. That's what yeah. that's my confusion. So yeah. Lawyer, yeah, Yeah, When the lawyer keeps interjecting, and Bo's just like, "No, stop soliciting in the
1: office." Just it. Yeah,
0: I yeah. I appreciated that that <laughs> well, little it, subtle you know, comedy in there.
1: And he does a good job of that throughout the episode because even early on there's the moment where Sam gets in the passenger seat, which is a great moment too, and it's something that we've not gotten a lot of. It's the reminder that Sam has no clue where he is. He has no clue where he's going. It's this wonderful moment where it's like Sam is like, I'm going to slip into the passenger seat, and Bo is just like, oh, I guess I'm driving then. I driving. And,
0: and, yeah. And yeah, so
1: Stephen Lee does a great job of injecting some humor into an otherwise pretty heavy, dark episode. We also, of course, get the revelation of Abigail having found the body. Um that is another really strong setup because I, I mean I think anyone can connect to like the idea of a child finding a dead body. It's like it, you know that, that immediately gives you a kind of an eerie, you know, icky kind of sense. So um, I thought that that was that was great. Uh, and then of course driving home um, to to the sheriff's house and of course we see Abigail um, and their maid Marie um, right off the yeah. bat. As well. well there's
0: there's something Sam has an immediate reaction to learning that his quote, his daughter discovered the body and he yes. wants to get home and make sure she, that she's okay. And you, I want to unpack that a little bit. Where does that come from? Is that just Sam? Is it him melding a little bit with his leap or where we know where the story is going does he already have this like weird, otherworldly, cosmic, whatever you want to, to describe, like connection with Abigail or, or a little bit of all of the above? Because I'm, Sam is always shows concern, but he shows like uber hyper concern, like as soon as he finds out that his yeah. daughter discovered the body.
1: He, he's very sensitive to a lot of things in this episode honestly but that is is clearly uh, um, his most you know sensitive area has anything to do with Abigail I think for me um, you know my my initial thought was that there that it was some of the the, the, the melding you know the the psycho whatever the synergizing story. yeah yeah psycho synergizing um, the idea that you know that there's this other thing out there um i'm gonna have to revisit that and think about that again when we get to the you know get to part three i think because it's difficult i i I, i'm kind of trying to ride this fine line of, of talking only about this episode in the context of itself and saving comments for the whole until we get to the third part um for two reasons one i honestly don't remember a whole lot of the next two episodes? I, I really don't. I, I thought about that as, as I came to the conclusion of this episode. I was like, man, I really don't remember that much about Trilogy, and I was surprised by that. So part of me kind of just wants to be surprised by it. Um, and, and the other thing being is I just I want to give this episode its own due. Uh, so for me, in that frame of mind, I will say that I think it's just the synergizing and just kind of Sam himself being very um, you know, rubbed a little raw by this we also get a, uh, an interesting line where he says that uh, he, he actually quantifies that he's leapt into a situation where he's confronted by a dead body two other times. Um, Matt Dale points out in his book that there were actually three occasions. However, I discount Good Night, Dear Heart, and the reason why I do that is because it... It's a very different setting. I'm, I, I personally, when I'm thinking of Sam, that Sam's referring to, are dreams and Play it Again Seymour because mm-hmm. those are the two episodes where he literally sees like a fresh dead body and sure we could quibble over the freshness of this dead body. But the idea being that it's not in like a clinical setting. Whereas in Goodnight to your Heart, it's a very clinical kind of, you know, she's on the table, she's you know,
0: especially in Play it Against Seymour, kind of somewhat similar to this. It's the question of, did the person he leap leap into do it?
1: Yeah. Which I like that that is, is kind of pushed to the wayside almost immediately. That's not going to be the mystery here. Um, that the mystery here is, is, is it more involved. Um, when we see him with Abigail, it really kind of reinforces that idea that he is melding a bit with Clayton Fuller. Uh, you know, especially when they're sitting on the bench the um, a porch swing together And he's, you know, he's kind of singing the song um, I also couldn't help but get kind of a, a weird sort of Atticus and Scout Finch vibe here in The mm-hmm. quality of the relationship Especially knowing that Clayton Fuller's older He's not, like, this isn't like some guy In like his, you know, late 20s, early 30s With a 10-year-old daughter Or, or even mid-30s Like, he looks like he's in his, you know Mid to late 40s from the mirror image um and and that was uh, you know an aspect of of the scout Atticus relationships Atticus was older um, obviously, there are some fundamental differences but but I did get that vibe uh, so i don 't know I mean what did you think what did you think as far as what was propelling his sensitivity to abigail and his and his overall protectiveness of her, other than just sam being a good guy
0: i I think a little bit of a mix of melding with his his leap B, and I think we're about to see a scene where I think it's definitely, definitely implied like he's melding with his leap B totally. a little bit. And also, I can't help but wonder uh, if it was intentional, like anything like some kind of like special connection with Abigail because yeah. of what happens in the next two episodes. If they were trying to set that up, and uh, because it's watching the episode with Betsy last night, and when because who she has never seen these three episodes. Uh she was even surprised that Quantum Leap was even like going so far as to do like a trilogy of episodes like all set in the same town. Yeah. And when we got to the end of the episode, she was like, ah,
1: ooh, ooh. ooh, ooh oh yeah, we're gonna ooh, get there. <laughs> ooh,
0: that's weird. Um So I think, yeah, it is knowing where the episodes are going. It, I think I kind of felt that way because it is kind of weird to watch Sam interact with Abigail as a father figure knowing where this is. Going and we we've had some people. Um, I, I feel horrible. I'm blanking on her name. She used to comment on our page all the time. She's dropped off the last several months, but she had some very strong feelings about Sam's behavior in this trilogy, yeah, of, of episodes and not being
1: Diana.
0: No, uh, no, 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 uh, no, no, not okay. not. Uh, I can't remember her name. Sure, I'll go sure, back and sure. look it up. Yeah, um, but yeah, she's she dropped off several months ago. But anyway, it, it's it's hard to not look at that in that context
1: yeah i mean it's definitely worth talking about there's no doubt about that and i think you know we'll talk more about it at the end of this episode beginning of next episode but i i will say that as far as this being you know so steeped in themes related to the southern gothic genre that incest in particular factors heavily into southern gothic as a genre um you know Faulkner used it a lot um you know i i think that it, it, it was a it was just a way to add a level of sort of grotesque to, um, to stories that already had a very dark, grotesque vibe um, you know, the, to other sort of hallmarks of the genre include like violence, which obviously we get here uh, you know, family secrets, which obviously we get here, uh, poverty which we don't get displayed explicitly but we get it talked about in a i mean a a story defining moment that takes place before this episode ever starts um so I, i think that thematically the without it being overt the implication perhaps of some sort of incestuous relationship um is 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 potentially a part of that you know the trappings of southern gothic now what it means specifically for this story i think that's certainly worth worth talking about um but as we were, were ed- here go ahead yeah, go
0: ahead i was gonna say why we're here should we talk about kimberly
1: Cullum? let's do it
0: the actor who plays uh who plays uh abigail she is a former child actor now Uh, Listed on her IMDb page, her last on-screen credit is "Nothing Sacred," a TV series from 1998. She was apparently part of the miscellaneous crew in the Amazing Spider-Man.
1: I saw that. I
0: wonder if that's a type of like. There's it's another Kimberly Cullum who who worked on Amazing Spider-Man, and they just got the names mixed up. Right. Um, I do remember her. She was also, again, we are not a Star Trek podcast, uh, but she was in an episode uh, of Star Trek The Next Generation, and she had a few other regular roles up through 98 and then moved on with her life and started doing something else.
1: Yeah, worth noting that she had a really interesting role uh, because it was an episode where Data, like, loses his memory in in a crash and she's a little girl that kind of, like, helps take care of him along with her father and they develop an interesting relationship which I think, uh, especially considering what Picard did with Data's character um, I think that if, if I were to put together some episodes for people to maybe watch before Picard I might actually throw Thine Own Self in there in the Interesting. Mix, okay, yeah. To that. But but anyway, um, yeah, I, you know, I go back and forth on her in this episode. I know there, there are some people out there, especially on Al's Place message boards, that do not like her at all. Um, but I think she does a, a great job. Um, you know, she does exactly what she needs to do. Some of the scenes are very, very well done. Um, you know, there might be a couple of misses here, but, you know, she's, she's like, what, like a 12-year-old girl. I mean, come sure.
0: On. She won the Young Artist Award for Best Young Actress. Guest starring in the television series for this, uh, yeah, for this trilogy episode. And again, I, she does come across as a little extra, but I never chalked it up to, uh, I never chalked it up to the acting. I chalked it up to like Abigail is just a the little character. extra. Totally. Yeah. totally. I yeah. agree.
1: I completely agree. And I think sometimes it is difficult to to separate those two. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes for people, um, especially if it's something that's jarring or hits on a nerve. I mean, I, on this last watch through, I mean, I, I thought she was. Fantastic, so it didn't bother me at all. But um, also, of course, uh, Marie, the the maid, we've seen her before. Um, um, and now I'm blanking on what episode it was in. Fran Bennett is the is the actor. Um, what episode was it? Was it Justice? It was Justice. Um, she was also in Justice. Um, and oh, that's yeah. Ada. Um, so yeah, yeah. Uh, so we have seen her before. It's nice to have her back. Um, and, uh, I, I, you know, this, the, there's an interesting, again, it, it reminded me a little bit of To Kill a Mockingbird, which is also something that fits in the Southern Gothic genre, you know, the idea that we, you know, we have this, this made, um, um, relationship clearly with Abigail to the point where later on in the episode, um, you know, Sam to keep Abigail safe, basically sends her home with Marie. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I I, I like that. I mean, we could sit here, obviously, and and, and talk all day about, you know, the trope of the black maid in, in the southern town in the 50s, but, I mean, it's not like it wasn't true, so... (laughs) <laughs> I mean why, why spend a lot of time talking about something that, that's factual
0: <laughs> true yes exactly and to throw back to another southern gothic episode I'm not absolutely sure about this but when they were doing like the, the panning shot towards the beginning of the episode like kind of like establishing this small town world I'm pretty sure like there, there's like a big house in the shot mm. and I'm pretty sure that that's the same exterior that was used in so help me god Mm, For the, for the, I can't remember the family's name, but the big family. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's the same exterior.
1: Yeah.
0: Interesting. Um, Also worth noting, since we're talking about that, that panning shot at the beginning, we also get a prolonged shot of a well, which is going to come back to play later in the story. And it's one of those things that since it's a three part episode, they can do that and it's just yeah. It's just like the, the camera just Lingers on that well just for A couple more seconds than Just long enough to know huh I bet that's going to come back later
1: it, yeah, well, it, one of the things, too, that's uh, worth mentioning is that the overall quality of, of filmmaking, if you will, on this episode is fantastic. The cinematography is great. Um, there's, there's a lot of dynamic shots within the, the episode, um, the, the scene in the sheriff's office. Um, between uh, uh, Sam and Will is really well done. The the other the accusation scene that's done in the sheriff's mm-hmm. uh, building is incredibly well done, considering how many characters you had there um, on screen, uh, at varying times. So it, it, it's a really well shot episode. There's a lot of artistry you can tell that went into, to crafting this overall. Um, and I think that, you know, it's gotta be a testament to the fact that somebody like James Whitmore Jr. had worked on the show so many times and Deborah Pratt had worked on the show so many times. And I would imagine that they worked really, really well together in, you know, kind of crafting this overall vision for it. And then being able to, of course, just kind of let the actors go, um, and do their thing. Um, so after our, our, our scene um, here out on the, um, the porch Abigail and Sam go back inside it's you know time for her to go to bed um, Sam is um, you know convinced that she's going to bed uh, he hears something he turns around and uh, there's this woman in a nightgown in the doorway
0: just staring in there yeah what is that about?
1: Just a striking looking woman, whether or not you want to call her beautiful or creepy or a little bit of both, that's entirely up to you. But uh, yeah, and then of course she disappears, and then Sam sees Abigail in the hallway. Um, Good night, and, Daddy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and Sam has been talking to Al, and so Abigail has already kind of come into the room um, to interrupt because she thinks that Sam is talking to her mother, who yeah. at this point we think is dead. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, we get the kind of the revelation from Al that there's really no information, like Ziggy has nothing on any of this. So they don't know what he's there to do. They don't really know much about any of the people involved. It's all pretty sketchy, so he's having trouble digging stuff up. Uh, Sam gets pretty antagonistic towards Al at this point, you know, like... Help me out, man. Like, I do
0: I, I I love the exchange of, of of Al trying to fake it, of like, well, you're a sheriff, you're blah blah blah, you're 40ish, blah blah blah. Yes, I know that what, and then Al admitting, like, oh. And what I what I do appreciate is that there's an actual reason why Al does not have information. It's not Ziggy's on the Fritz, it's not some some bullshit made up reason. It's because there's a flood in nineteen seventy one and all the town records are washed away, and that's why they have a hard time finding anything.
1: Yeah.
0: I appreciated that. Uh, I appreciate Sam's outfit in this scene. I enjoyed it. His, his, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, the costumes. W- hey, Jean Paul did a great job. Jean Pierre, excuse me, Jean Pierre did a yeah. great job on this one. Um, costumes are great, which is another thing that helps to kind of really draw us into the world.
0: Yeah. Um, but what did you say? Like Sam's antagonistic and also he talks about, you know, like, Oh yeah, my daughter came across, a, came across a dead body. Like Sam is invested. Yes. Yeah.
1: I'm yeah. glad you brought that up because that was definitely something that stood out to me too. Is that he doesn't say Abigail, he you know, or anything. He says my daughter, yeah. um, which I think is really interesting. There is a strain throughout the course of the episode, and indeed the entire trilogy, which is something we'll delve into further as we you know go on. But there is this strain of ownership over the person of Abigail, um, and I find that fascinating. There are a lot of characters that feel very protective of her, but in a very not that they want to control her necessarily, you know. But there's there's sort of a, there's a proprietary nature to it. It's mm-hmm. not it's not it's not just like there there's it's clearly something about her that they're very drawn to, um, and we'll we'll get more into that later. But um, the woman that we see in the doorway, of course, we know is at this point we don't know, but we come to find out is Laura Fuller, who is. Um, Clayton's wife, Abigail's uh, mother. Um, again, at this point, we think she's dead. So for all we know, we're seeing a ghost. Uh, that ghost uh, is played by Meg Foster. Uh, Meg Foster is someone who's had a very lengthy career in film and television. I remember her, most of all, as playing Evil Lynn in the Masters of the Universe uh, film. <laughs> yeah. um, which also starts Scott Bakula's uh, uh, wife, Chelsea Field. Um, Interesting. Tila, okay. but... Uh, anyway, um, yeah, just tons of stuff. She started her career in 1969 and is still uh, working um, right up until uh, today, um, with uh, a few things in post-production um, right now. So, uh, just yeah, incredibly lengthy career. Pretty Little Liars, um, something you know recent that she uh, has been on. Um, uh, and there's there's a tons of stuff. Uh, Sliders, Star Trek: Deep Space Nine, uh, Murder She Wrote, ER. Um, and, again, lots of film and television throughout the, the 80s and 90s, uh, and, again, working right up until today. I think she has, again, just a striking look, um, a perfect look for this, this character. You know, there's something about her that is, that is very beautiful while also very haunting, um, so it just works perfectly for the role, especially considering that she has zero lines through the course of the episode.
0: You're right. You're right. Yeah, I was thinking of an upcoming episode. Here's yeah. my question: She is billed as special guest star, mm. Meg Foster. And looking back through her IMDb page, like she has a, she's had a prolific career. But I was like, what makes her the special guest star? Her agent. Yes. Brokering a
1: good deal. And that's, and that's <laughs> what I was thinking. Like
0: That's a thing that you negotiate, like how you are billed. You know, she's billed first of the guest stars and she's billed a special guest star. And I was like, what, what was that beyond, like you said, her agent getting her a good deal?
1: And, you know, here's something, too. This entire trilogy has a dynamite cast. And I'm not necessarily saying that they broke the bank on this episode, that all of these, you know, are like huge names or whatever. But they're... They're known quantities, like you know. These we're not getting like a young Jennifer Aniston or something like that, which she was great in Nowhere to Run. Don't get me wrong, but clearly at that point you're taking a chance on a young actor who impressed you in an audition or you know whatever. Whereas in this episode, with the exception of Abigail, and even then, um, uh, uh, I, we just talked about her and said her name many times. Um, <laughs> Kimberly. Yeah, thank you, Kimberly Cullum. Um, You know, had had done work before. All of these actors had worked before, and some of them had worked on Quantum Leap before, and even those that hadn't had you know a a fairly lengthy career prior to this episode. So I, I just get the strong sense that there was a lot of care given to these episodes; that there was nothing throwaway about any of this; that there was definitely. I think, an intent behind doing this, and I think that you're right that probably the intent was if we can successfully do a story like this, there's no reason why we can't do more in the future. Unfortunately, they never got that opportunity, but I do think and believe strongly that they were laying some groundwork here for what they hoped to do in Season 6 and beyond.
0: Yeah, and speaking of breaking the bank, they got Max (laughs)
1: right. I was totally thinking of him. From from ALF. (laughs) From ALF. That's right, playing Doc Kinman, um, and his son Will Kinman, which we'll we'll talk a lot about Will. Um, unfortunately, Max Wright passed away last year, um, age seventy
0: five, a long, yeah. a long ripe age, and good for him. He he did he did some more roles after afterwards. I, I'm sure you know you've read about this. What the 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 shit show of working on Alf was?
1: No, actually, I know very little about that.
0: Uh, it was something I can't remember. Why it was like one of those things like BuzzFeed, it was like one story that got repeated by a lot of sources like at the time, like three or four years ago, just talking about and it had come out just what a horrible experience was for the for the cast yeah. working on Alf was because it was all centered around Alf the alien the human characters all took a backseat and apparently because like the way the like the set was built like the way the floor was built so that the puppet could be moved around it was just a horrible experience for the actors because like 90 percent of their job was just figuring out how to walk around on the set while they were trying to act
1: oh my god and i just can imagine it,
0: it was just generally a horrible experience for everyone working on that show
1: Man, Alf had its moment in time, though. There's no doubt. I know there was oh. a moment there where I was crazy about it. My parents didn't want me to watch it for whatever reason. I don't know. It was one of those, like, I
0: I watched, like, maybe a couple episodes here and there, but other than the gimmick of it.
1: Right. Oh, that, yeah. yeah, that was all there was for me, too. Yeah, it was no, it was no Mr. Belvedere. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. Um, so, So. anyway, uh, we also get, of course, the Goodnight Daddy thing that you mentioned uh, a second ago after Sam looks out the door to see that Laura Fuller is not there, but, but Abigail is still down the hall. And this is... Like, up until this point, we had not seen Abigail be creepy, really. Yeah. Now we get to see her be creepy. And I think that this helps to... Add a very you know chilling vibe to the overall texture of the episode, and and plants the seed, no pun intended, um, that we may very well be looking at the killer in this little girl. Sure,
0: but I mean in the scene, she's creepy in just the way kids can be creepy sometimes. <laughs> I mean, a few months ago, after we got Harrison into a more regular sleeping routine there was one morning i was doing yoga like in the back sunroom open room whatever it is behind our kitchen and it was like 5:30 in the morning i'm doing yoga i got my airpods in i got music softly playing and i'm just sitting point like i'm just sitting there cross-legged on the ground i'm just doing like a few breaths and a few meditations and i look over and in the dining room there's just a little silhouette of a human being just standing there silently watching me do yoga <laughs> just creeping on me, not saying anything, just watching me. Kids are kids are just creepy that way sometimes.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, it's 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 at this point in the episode too that I noted that I felt like th- other than Goodnight, Dear Heart, this is really the only like well done sort of Southern Gothic ghost story vibe episode that we get I'm looking at you Portrait mm-hmm. for trying. um so
0: <laughs> that was in so, California that's not even I, like I trying know, to be I harsh.
1: know yeah. um, so uh, uh, I, I really appreciate that that vibe because it gives us this otherworldly vibe which I think without that um there's the, the episode becomes a little bit more mundane and, and, it, and it sits more in that sort of heat of the night thing like you were talking about earlier uh, which is great, and it's still Southern Gothic, but it's not necessarily grotesque. It's not necessarily other. There's no spectral quality to it. And and this element of Trilogy and of this episode definitely enhances. Uh, it's not one of those odd contrivances that makes you kind of go, wait, what, why are they doing this? Mm. It really works, and, and, and I like it. And I think especially with what we learn about Laura later in the episode, uh, it just... I don't know it adds something to, to this stew uh, that Deborah Pratt has cooked up for us and I'm really really enjoying it sure um, so we get to the next, next morning yeah and well, Also, it's worth noting real quick that Abigail has said that you know she and daddy are going to go for a picnic the next day um, yeah and, and, and I think that's important because the scene the picnic scene is very important yeah so the the
0: next day we also meet Lita Ader we yes, meet we Doc do. we meet uh, Doc Kinman uh, Lita you know like you said She's a wonderful actor. Play uh, Mary Gordon Murray. Kind of here and there uh, resume on IMDb. Like she just kind of sporadic. Like very active up until this point, until the mid nineties, and then she drops off until like two thousand one, two thousand three, and then she just like she comes back, comes back every few years and does a thing. Right. Uh, yeah. She is very effective in this episode. Yeah. She. Oh. Yeah. Sometimes you feel like you actually like pull somebody out of that world and drop them in, and she just, yeah, she feels like she lives in this world.
1: Yeah, it, you know, the thing that's that's fascinating too about her character is that if you you don't get much time to think about it, but if you do take a moment to think about the fact that we're looking at a woman who's lost her young daughter and now her husband, um, it's it, it's hard not to sympathize with her. And granted, you know, she takes it too far, as we come to find out. I do think if there's one potential critique that I would give the episode, it's that she does get played and pushed into villain-of-the-week territory sometimes. And, mm-hmm. I, and, and, and I wish that early on in the episode, um, prior to the picnic scene, for instance, especially a lot of her anger and her rage and everything is so justified and there's a really tender scene between she and sam after they view her husband's body outside yeah um, you know where he 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 just he asked her if he can get her a glass of water or anything yeah you know but it's a really nice moment and 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 i think that again it's a 45 minute show there's only so much you can do you know you've got a a bad guy in the episode basically and we know that it's going to be her but but i think that it's It's one of those weird things where we talk about if we would have spent a little more time, I think that her character overall would have been very effective. Not that she's not, but it would have been a very different thing, and I think it's unnecessary, so I get it. It's a very, very minor nitpick, but it is interesting to me to kind of think of this world where we don't necessarily see her as being that, that villain at all, you know?
0: Sure, I got you. Up
1: until the moment where it's inevitable that we see her that way.
0: Yeah, it was. Uh, as we were watching the episode last night, Betsy was in and out, like trying to get Harrison, like, fully into bed, whatever. And so she came back at one point, and I was like, "Oh, this is Lita. She's a piece of work." <laughs> then we get to the end of the episode, and she sets the house on fire. And Betsy's like, "Oh, she is a piece of work." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Man. So in th- uh, this uh, series of scenes here, we learn—I can't remember exactly where—but we learned that. Bart wasn't actually dead when Abigail came up upon her. She, he was actually yelling at her over something and Abigail saw him slip and fall. So this brings up the question of, well, did he slip and fall or did Abigail have something to do with it? Even right. even Doc has some suspicions. And I really want to point out the, the scene between, uh, between Doc and Sam and Al— because I feel like it's been a while since we've had a really good scene where Al has, where, where Sam has two conversations at the same yeah. time, and he manages to mask them pretty well. Yep. You know what I mean?
1: Oh, he's yeah. Been do- he's been doing this for a while. He's a pro. This scene in general, in my opinion, is a wonderful callback in many ways because it brings back Al's dislike for dead bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's a nice character touch for him and, and, and recalls other moments that we've seen with him. In similar situations, we do get Sam kind of, you know, masterfully navigating the, the dual conversations that are taking place. Uh, we get this wonderful sense of all three of these people mm-hmm. discovering pieces of information. Um mm-hmm. Independent of one another And yet at the same time together And having kind of like These, these wonderful shared revelations um, It's it's a really well done scene And again it's another one of those scenes That's just shot really well too mm-hmm. um, Especially there's there's a moment Where we get uh, the shot and it, and it shows all three of our characters But they're all in different levels And like oh, yeah. as, as a, you know, someone with a theater background It was such an interesting picture sure. Like I could see that on stage And it would be an interesting stage picture Because you've got Doc Kinman kind of standing upright, you know, on on your your stage right area. Basically, you've got Sam hunched over the body in in the middle, and then you've got Al in the foreground with his back turned to them. And it's just a really interesting stage, because there's right, a lot yeah. of depth and a lot of you know different heights. Um, so again, just the craft work that went into everything is, is, is really well done. Um, and 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 it's a, a scene that provides us with more context for uh, Bart's death and raises probably in some ways more questions than it actually answers sure yeah Uh, which is another cool element of the scene worth noting at this point that doc kinman we've already met his son uh, at this point will kinman who's played by travis fine um and and clearly that character um if not the actor that character is going to be extremely important uh to the the overall texture of trilogy um He uh, started off working as a child actor um, in the early 80s. Um, He had done Lots of film and television. Um, he played uh, the role of Shelton in Child's Play 3 in 1991, which is something that I recognized him from right away. Uh, he was in 51 episodes of The Young Riders, which is worth noting that uh, David Anthony Marshall worked on that show. We actually talked about that show. Oh, before, that's right, yeah. Uh, yeah. When we interviewed him. Uh, he'd go on to do a couple episodes of JAG. Um, you know, lots uh, again, lots of film, television, um, Girl Interrupted. Uh, most recently, he did a few episodes of Family Law. That was back in It looks like there was actually a take about Space Between in 2010. He played an airline pilot. So not a lot recently as an actor, um, but lots of other credits, uh, writing, directing, producing uh, as well. So uh, we get introduced to that character. We'll talk a little bit more about him uh, here in a second. Uh, W.K. Stratton, who plays Stanton. um, We've seen him before as uh, Doc Berger in Genesis. And he played the sheriff in Goodnight, Dear Heart, which, of course, this episode, I think, thematically uh, has some links to. Um, It's interesting that they bring him back, um, and uh, he does a great job. The scene that we get him in is a scene with multiple characters in the sheriff's office as the accusations begin to fly. Lita is just kind of starting to lose her shit on um, Abigail. And the scene is incredibly well done because we get a strong sense of who's on Abigail's side, who might be kind of in the middle and who is most certainly not. And I, and I just think, I just think it's a really well done scenes real really well shot scene. Um, the relationship between Sam and Abigail is strengthened. Um, we get some good definition for will, we get some really good definition for, uh, uh, Stanton, um, who we'll, we'll see again. So I, uh, I think it's just one of the highlights of the episode, honestly. And it's, and mm-hmm. it's, it's like a dramatically high scene um, without there necessarily being any triggers pulled. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just adding tension on. Uh, and it's just, I think it's very well done. And it also seems to start to maybe create some interesting questions in Sam's mind. Not necessarily that he's doubting Abigail, but after this scene and when we get to the picnic, he's got questions and he wants them answered
0: mm-hmm I and he, think has his, so. he has
1: her best interests at heart, but yeah,
0: yeah it, yeah like I was watching the episode last night I, I kept thinking like how interesting it would have this would have been a totally different story like how sure. interesting would it have been like had had they gone truly down the bad seed road and it turns out Abigail was right the killer. Yeah it would have been interesting. I, I, I don't think Quantum Loop put have gone there. I don't yeah, think they would have I, ever gone there, but it's interesting.
1: Yeah, Like you said, it would have been a very, very different
0: episode. Um, and it is also a point out, because this is going to come back to play later on in the story, we also find out that Sam's wife, Laura, she had a very violent childhood in that her mom killed all of her kids and then killed herself, and Laura was able to escape by hiding under a bed, but she heard if not witnessed her siblings being murdered which ultimately led to her mental illness later on down the road yeah
1: one of the things that's very interesting about this revelation too is that it comes from will Kinman. and we get playing into that southern gothic uh you know quite frankly it's not an easy subject to discuss especially for parents of young children but Uh, pedophilia is something that often factors into southern gothic as well um or or statutory rape or things of that nature yeah it's worth noting that will is not a young boy by any measure he's not a man you know he's definitely you know probably a teenager but he's certainly older than abigail certainly yeah and there's the a way, the way that yeah. he talks about Abigail, and, in and particular, the way he flirts with her later on. Yeah, and how beautiful he says that she is is interesting. Yeah. Well, to,
0: to touch on that, there's, a, there's an earlier moment where Doc and Sam are talking, and Doc makes the line talking about Violet, Lita's daughter. he makes some line like, aside from your little girl, she was the prettiest girl in the parish."
1: Mm-hmm.
0: which jumped out of me, and also like Betsy first time watching the episode, she was like gross.
1: Yeah, yeah, and again, it plays into the idea that, and Abigail is the only child that we really see. Uh, you know, we see Violet in a flashback, but it plays into this idea that there is this sort of proprietary nature that a lot of these characters have over Abigail. And I'm not saying that it's this insidious, you know, sexual lusting for her or anything like that. I'm not saying that it's a, it's it's, a, it's some sort of display of pedophilia or whatever. But it is. It is in. It, it, it just strikes a very interesting note, especially with where Trilogy goes. Um, and the way that the character of Abigail, when we meet her, she's ten years old, but the way that that character will be sexualized over the course of the Trilogy, and indeed, sure. even at the end of this very episode, it is worth noting that Will who I'm what we're guessing at at his youngest is probably what 16
0: maybe yeah 15 16 years old yeah
1: but but might even be older might be more like 17 18 yeah um is clearly displaying kind of a a certain amount of affection towards her the other thing that I wanted to mention and that that actually (laughs) was the first thing in my head is that because we get this story through him it does create an interesting sense of the unreliable narrator like this is a story that he heard basically and so as he relays all this information to Sam, you you know, we take it as a viewer, I think we take it as the truth. And sure. we do come to find out based on what Al is able to discover that it does seem to be the truth. Mm-hmm. That said, it's not like we're witness to this. It's not like Laura Fuller tells us this is what happened. We are hearing it from a young man who wasn't even alive when it happened who's heard it from somebody else who probably heard it from somebody else. Which also gives us this great sense of like the way that a community, those stories, those secrets, those darknesses that live underneath can just kind of infect everything and everyone and and, and be this... Like, clearly for Will, it's something that he has to... I don't know. It, 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 it's just kind of fascinating to me.
0: Yeah. And to touch on... You talk about how the, the, the sexual the sexualization of Abigail and the and the way this is done and, and how young she is. I can't help but think of uh, it was like two or three years ago when Millie Bobby Brown, who plays Eleven on mm-hmm. Stranger mm-hmm. Things, and she I, I can't remember if it was People Magazine or or some similar magazine, like she was like listed as like one of like the sexiest people of the year yeah. or something, and there was a big discussion about like she is a little girl, don't sexualize her and yeah. you know like even like some like men like being called out because like they had made some comments along those lines and, Yeah. Well, <laughs> you you just looked over your shoulder.
1: Oh yeah, um, we have got a guest we've got a guest star a special guest oh, star.
0: Oh, hello. Hi.
1: <laughs>
0: How are you doing? Looks like she's napped hard.
1: Yeah. <laughs> or hardly napped. Or yeah. Um is that Dennis? Can you say oh boy? Oh boy? Hi. <laughs> um yeah. So to jump back to what we're saying. Sorry. We, we were talking about Millie Bobby Brown so, and, and has some men and yeah. And, and so and I wonder if
0: and I'm not excusing the behavior, I'm not excusing comments made along those lines. No. But to kind of like touching on on, on The way people talk about Abigail and the way Will talks about Abigail and what we know of eventually the relationship is sometimes I think there's a thing that men, at least straight men, we are not we are not taught how to admire women or girls without sexualizing them Mm. sometimes. And I think that's even like from a very young age.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, the funny thing is, is, since you brought up, you know, Millie Bobby Brown and Stranger Things, Finn Wolfhard, who also is in Stranger Things, he has experienced a very similar sexualization. He has a band, and uh, they actually played here uh, at uh, at Lala uh, last year. Okay. And um, there were... I heard this from a coworker of mine who was there, saw his band play... Uh, she was a little uncomfortable by the degree, uh, to which some of the, you know, women in the audience and men in the audience were, you know, basically doing the same thing to him, like sexualizing this young kid, you know, on stage. And, um, and, and, I, and I think that it can, you know, certainly it's more prevalent with women. And we talked a lot about it even with, um, the Brooke Shields episode that we just covered um you know it's not it's not anything new um and i I think that the way that it's handled within the context of this story it it does do something for the character of abigail fuller um it's hard to criticize too knowing that a woman wrote the script um and i think if anything it might be deborah pratt's way of making a bit of a commentary on that very fact like showing this this young girl turn into this young woman, turn into this you know woman, and and the way that she is indeed from the get-go when she's ten years old, to when she's twenty-three years old, to when she's you know thirty-three years old uh, or whatever the timeline is. I might be getting that a little off, but is 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 sexualized by all of these male characters, mm-hmm. um, even to the point of showing that. And I know it's a little twisted, showing that the man who leaps into her father and is the father figure for her for the course of these 48 hours, by the end of the episode, is in bed having sex with her. Mm-hmm. Not as her father. He's leaped out and he's now Will. But also seeing Will's attraction to the young Abigail in this episode. Yeah. It's again i think it's something that we'll talk more about as we go on but it's worth mentioning here right off the bat that yes this is something that happens that we see it in real life that 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 it's not just a piece of the story however in the context of the story it is a fascinating and strong piece of the narrative and of this character Mm -hmm. and the way others perceive her exactly yeah. For for what that for what that is worth, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the picnic. Uh, we should talk about this picnic. <laughs> yeah,
0: uh, the picnic. I just uh, Sam tries to dig in, and just like the highs and lows where Abigail goes in this scene. Like, mm-hmm. I, I feel like this may touch on where some people like have, have criticism of how Kimberly Cullen played the character. But again, I think it's just it's just Abigail. And I, just, I agree. It just
1: she just kind of creeps you out. <laughs> And it it feels to me, too, that it's like this is, you you know, whatever this means. This is is the scene she won that award for. Do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Like, this is the scene that got her the award. Uh, It's really interesting, too, because we get a narrative device that we don't often get in Quantum Leap, uh, although we did get it most recently, I think, in Meet for Lisa. We get a flashback, and the flashback is in black and white, (laughs) um, of Abigail beating up Violet and discovering that so much of apparently what has happened was over this locket. Which Abigail and her mother were, you know, saving money for, so that she could go buy this locket, and that Violet, who had more money, um, you know, bought the locket out from underneath her, basically. And uh, it, it, it's—I um, think I kind of lost the thread there, but but it's but it is an interesting piece of the story that obviously comes back soon enough um, to haunt her. The. Um, the, the 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 near break between sam and abigail as he's pushing her and she and she gets upset at him there's this really wonderful moment where he, you know, he kind of grabs her and he's like look i can't help you if you don't tell me these things um the interesting part about this scene is i feel like if if he were doing the same thing to a woman an adult it, we would have a different conversation about the way that he, like, grabs her, but because it's a child, it's a little different. Yeah, yeah. Um, and because of the nature of the relationship, it's a little different. Of course, the other big thing in this scene that occurs, and it's a really nice scene, by the way. I think, you know, Scott and, 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 and Kimberly do a great job. The the other thing, of course, that's notable about the scene is that Lita has been watching them and listening in the, listening in the whole time. Oh, yeah. Um, so... Abigail's not the only creep in this uh, in this story yeah, yeah there's, there's,
0: there's just yeah creepy creepy things all around and is it shortly after this point where Sam discovers that Laura is not dead and he goes yep. to to visit her in the asylum which I yeah. think <laughs> is a very outdated term now but yeah yeah
1: yeah, uh, yeah well because we do get some some uh, interesting dialogue and it's it's probably honestly in the midst of all the other stuff that's happening in this scene, the nicest piece of the scene is that Abigail recalls the night that her mother went away uh, or, or died, but of course we realize that it was the night that she went away. There are some questions left in the course of this episode of why Laura went away. Um, you know, did Clayton have her committed? Did she voluntarily commit herself? Did You know, what was the trigger that actually... You know, I think based on what Al says, it seems like Clayton had her committed. Yeah. Um, because
0: pretty much as soon as she went in, she went comatose. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, which, obviously, you know, we talked a little bit about mental health at the get-go. Uh, the way that mental health is treated um, by these characters. And again, I think there's a sensitivity to which Deborah Pratt the writer treats it but some of these characters obviously are clueless you know um, the, the way that Laura's mother uh, is talked about you know killing her babies and herself um, you know she'd rather kill her babies than see them starve because she lost her husband she lost her money she lost her mind um, you know Laura you know potentially that, that, that mental instability like carries over um, that Sam defends it and says, you know, emotional, you know, trauma like that does not hereditary. Um, but of course, we're left with the question of is you know is is Abigail a little unhinged? Um, I mean, she, the anger that she displays when she beats up Violet, um, I don't know. It's really it's it, 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 it it's saying some interesting things um, without coming to a conclusion, which is wonderful because it's this great setup. Where there's a lot of, it's that iceberg theory. There's so much going on underneath. Sure. And we're just getting the tip of the iceberg here. And, we're, and, the, and the cool thing is, is that this isn't even the only tip. We're going to get two more. Yeah. <laughs> with, yeah. With the next two parts. So just a lot of great texture. Um, but yeah, like I said, Sam finds out that Laura's still alive, been committed, and he goes to visit her in the asylum, takes Al with him. Yeah. And so while all
0: this is going on, we know that in the original history, Abigail and her dad die in the house fire the night before, which is why Sam has sent Abigail off to Marie's. He thinks she's safe, and at the end of the scene in the asylum, Al drops, no, for whatever reason, Abigail has gone back to their house, and Sam peels out to go back, and as we exit this scene, Laura looks out the window, she has tears rolling down her eyes, and she also like reaches up to indicate like she could sense Al yeah. in, in, in some way. So, it's, yeah. 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 Delightfully creepy scene. And for sure. <laughs> and we have Sam driving back. And this is this is an extra moment that was not needed. It is not Are dramatic. You talk about It is not dramatically important to the episode. It changes nothing. Yeah. He hits yeah. Marie with this car.
1: What the fuck? <laughs> I mean, There's
0: no, I'm, there is no reason for him to no. hit her. He, it could have been a close call. He could have slammed on the brakes. It maybe adds a little bit of dramatic tension over like slowing Sam down. Right, right. Because he but has he, to stop. But it's, uh, 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 I, I, we do see Marie in parts two and three, but it never comes back as important as to why. She had to be hit by the yeah. car.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I know. I was like, seriously, when I saw it, I was like, damn, they hit Marie with the car. <laughs> like, that, oh my God. That, yeah. Uh, we do, you know, she does give us a little bit of an info dump uh, about, you know, she was making dinner and, you know, she thought she was there. Then all of a sudden she realized she wasn't there. Um, uh, you know, we when, we when we see, of course, the stuff that's going on in the house, it's pretty intense. Like, Lita is, you know, is, is, is yelling and smacking and, and berating uh, Abigail. Abigail eventually smashes a flower vase on Lita's head. Yeah, uh, We get some blood. Um, there's actually a really cool moment, um, and it's just one of those things that, like, it you know, you, you ask the question, it's like, well, was this all shot at the same time, and maybe that's why? Or was it just, you know, some good continuity from somebody on the set there's this really cool atmospheric bit where abigail is hiding from lita and she has a little bit of blood smeared on her and i just really loved that because it's it was i don't know there was something about the fact that like she busted this vase over lita's head and opened her you know her skull up and 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 and, and you know and that blood is is literally on her now um yeah. which i just thought was a really cool again a really cool shot um by the way, well, speaking, we of get...
0: this, speaking of this house, yeah. we're in the house, we're in the quantum leap house. Yeah, we're in the we're in the same house. They always use the same staircase, the same living room. Yeah,
1: we're also <laughs> in uh, we're also in quantum leap town because Potterville Main Street is the same Main Street as uh, leap back.
0: I'm pretty sure, yeah. yeah. Which I think is the same as color of truth. Which is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, So, uh, but yeah, it, it's a great scene. Lita gets progressively more and more unhinged as it goes on. There's mm. almost something early on. She's menacing from the get-go, and there's definitely something about this that you think that this is not going to end well. That said, from the beginning, there's a moment where you kind of think that maybe Lita is just literally going to take this locket and go. Like, this is a grieving mother and wife who just wants what she thinks is hers and, and and wants to punish and scare and frighten this little child and then she's going to take it and she's going to leave and that's that, she'll have some sort of you know peace of mind but as things go on and as the confrontation between the two of them continues it just ratchets up more and more and more until it gets to the point where you're convinced it's like the only way Lita leaves this room happy, this house happy is if Abigail's dead yeah um which is, is fascinating <laughs> um I think at this point is when I when I, when I type the, the, the words Faulkner meets King meets movie of the week. <laughs> we're all kind
0: of... Yes, we're all kind yeah. of right there. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, of course, Sam shows up in time. Yeah. Um, the fire's been set. Which
0: I think it's interesting, you know, they don't actually show Lita dropping or throwing down the lantern. But They don't. We hear her say, I'll kill you. I kill you all. And it, it's like the way it's shot. It was like, it was very intentionally. They made the, the, the choice to not actually show Lita starting the fire. Yeah. Which I've always wondered,
1: like, are they trying to apply maybe still like maybe Abigail did it? I don't know. Well, another implication could be because we see her in a second. We see Laura in the flames. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. You know, so is, is like is, is Laura able to do some sort of like you know astral projection where she like, you know the ghost of Laura shows up miles away from the body of Laura to wreak havoc or something like that. Like there, there's, there, there are elements um, again of that sort of spectral quality of the house and these characters that, 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 that sort of this weird you know gothic ghost story. Um, the tension is ratcheted up also to a great degree. We, you know, we see the neighbors, you know, oh my God, the house is on fire, people are rushing into the front yard, and there's Will Kinman again.
0: Yeah. He, he's just the pulls... way
1: he's rushing for Abigail, and the way he like says her name. Yeah, yeah. They are setting it up. Yeah. And it's and it's hard not to be just a little skeeved out by the fact that you've got this 16, 17 year old kid who is into this 10 year old girl. yeah it's it's yeah now the alternate perspective is is that maybe maybe at this point it's just no no i'm i was gonna try to be like maybe he sees her as like a you know he's a big brother something no there is something there and it and it and and again it 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 plays really well into that that william faulkner-esque you know just kind of odd the you know that 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 Sex doesn't have any boundaries. That, yeah. that that you know, for for a lot of his stories, you know, so many of his characters, it's you know, someone has been has been raped or someone has been molested or someone is having sex with someone who is not of their own race. Which, of course, in his you know world and 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 what he was the perspective he was writing from was such a big taboo. Uh, you know, there there are lesbian relationships in his stories. There are, are homosexual relationships in his stories. There, like it's 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 it's. Just a—I a, 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 don't want to use the word trope because I feel like that—that that sounds like such a pejorative, and I don't mean it in that fashion. But it is—it is indeed a, a thematic element of Southern Gothic stories, and I think mm-hmm. that's something that's been well incorporated into this. Long story short, ha ha ha. Um, Abigail gets out. Will grabs her as Sam, you know, hands her off. Uh, Al is pleading with Sam to get out, get out, get out, get out. Sam is turned around. Um, He sees Laura. uh, You know, there's this moment of hesitation. The beam starts to fall. Sam starts to cover up. As the beam is hitting him, he he leaps out. Yeah. Let's not talk about the leap out just yet. Let's just talk about the episode up until this point. Sure. So what are your thoughts about the fire scene in in general? And and did I miss anything? and, 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 you know... No, I think you caught all the important things
0: there. I I do think, you know, at at the moment we'll leap out. Like this is the first time like we've ever seen like the person that Sam leaped to is dead. Yeah. Like there there is no way that they are surviving that. It is worth noting in the original draft script that Sam was actually caught under the beam. Yeah. Instead of having it collapse on it. I'm sure that was like a a budgetary, how do you shoot it? How do you not have Sam horribly
1: injured at that point
0: um so I've always found that interesting uh, we were watching last night basically was like oh damn
1: <laughs> yeah
0: you know that, that's kind of a big thing to like you know um, short of um last dance before an execution right you know or a very different circumstance like you know as soon as a person leaps back in they're dead right um I do find something a little, heartbreaking as Abigail is crawling out the window and she's calling after her dad and Will saying, don't worry, you're going to, like, he's coming right out. He's safe. You'll see him in just a minute. Just like, just, just knowing that that's not how it's going to turn out
1: yeah. for the dad is yeah. heartbreaking. Um, well, and, and sorry, to interject real quick, the thing that that also ties back into that we neglected to mention earlier in the story, Abigail is very afraid that she's going to lose her father. Yeah. Uh, when they have that first conversation in in Sam's bedroom, and Sam has this wonderful line where he says, "I'll be here as long as you need me," and I think that it, it that that line is twofold. You know, basically, her dad is there as long as she needs him in one respect, and Sam, over the course of these three leaps, is there as long as she needs him. Mm-hmm. And it's so it's a, it's a really wonderful line, and I think plays into exactly what you're saying too with with her. You know, getting rescued, and then moments later, her mm-hmm. father dies.
0: Yeah. Other than that, I think you pretty much you summed up the final moments of the episode pretty well. <laughs> uh, we know that Lita gets out the back way because what part of what causes Sam to hesitate is that Lita is yes. still in there, and yes. he's trying to save her. Boy Scout that Sam is, and Al reassures him like, "Don't worry about her; she gets out the back way."
1: I knew We're, I forgot something.
0: Yeah. How does Al know that? But anyway. Uh, records were lost in a flood. Records uh, were lost. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and then
1: I, uh, I, I kind of got the impression that a lot of the fire effect was animated. Oh, really? Okay. Probably. Yeah. Possibly. Or I wonder if I wonder if part of the reason why it feels that way is because so much of the time we see the fire, we see. The hologram of Al and the ghost of Laura in the flames, and I wonder yeah. if that makes it seem like it is, or maybe all was. I don't know. I That's mean, just the fact, that, like, like we're a TV show on a budget. The entire, right? You know, like everything
0: is on fire. How do you do that safely on a TV budget? Sure. It seemed like a yeah. little, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that 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 covers it. Yeah. Uh, so now we get the leap out and yeah
1: so two things much like Deliver Us From Evil we know as an audience in particular not just an American audience with Deliver Us From Evil it was pretty much just the, the US audience that knew but, but we all know as an audience that this is the first part of a three part episode I mean the name of the episode is Trilogy that said <clears throat> The leap out happens, and Sam is in bed in the middle of, of, of having sex with this woman, and we get Marie coming in, so now all of a sudden it's like, okay, this is weird, and then the next thing we know, Marie is saying, you know, couldn't even wait, tomorrow's the wedding day, you know, you like yeah. a bunch of rabbits in here, she storms out, slams the door, She's, you know, yelling at Will Kimmon to get out, get out, get out. Sam's like, Will? And then all of a sudden, you know, she says, Abigail Get him out of Fuller." yeah, yeah. And Sam looks down and stutters. Oh, b- boy. Oh, boy, yes.
0: <laughs> um, for what it's worth, we were watching it last night. Betsy did not figure out who the woman was until the name was said until I'm girl Fuller. Oh, that's and, okay, good. That's yeah. what I was wondering. Yeah, and she was like, uh, 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 Yeah. Uh, uh that's gross. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and you kind of wonder, like, they could have gone another way if they were telling a different story and just have Sam being like,
1: oh, uh, no, 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 hands off. Right, get away, right, get away from you. This is
0: weird, you know?
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah, but he doesn't leap out of bed. No pun intended. You know, yeah. he doesn't, yeah, he, uh, it, I mean, he's definitely shocked. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the the, the interesting thing is, too, is that we'll talk about it more next episode, but the actor playing Abigail is Melora Hardin, who, of course, we know so well from The Office, amongst other things. Uh, But we don't really get to see her face very well uh, because it's all, you know, darkly lit since they're in bed. Um, But, yeah, I mean, let's face it. Just moments ago, Sam was this person's father, and now he has leapt into their lover, slash fiance. Mm. Yeah. In the middle of the act. Yeah. It's fascinating. Uh, it's a little weird. Yeah. It's so I mean, it's
0: you know, this is the thing of it's hard to judge Sam sometimes because these are weird situations that are totally. created by time travel and you don't know how you would actually react.
1: Absolutely. In those and I, moments. <laughs> and I and I the thing that I think that is interesting and will continue to be interesting and we'll talk more about next time is that It puts Sam in a situation unlike any other that he's ever been in, which for a show like Quantum Leap that's been on for five years is worth noting, like, Mm. good for you. It plays directly into the thematic elements of the Southern Gothic framework that Deborah Pratt is clearly working in. Mm. And it... shines a light on characters that again have this they're drawn to in a very strong way to this person Abigail Fuller Mm -hmm. and I think that one of the other things that's worth noting is that in spite of Sam accomplishing what he was supposed to accomplish in the terms of saving Abigail in the leap that the murders are still unsolved and that is just a wonderful stroke that of course will carry us through the mm-hmm. next two parts. Absolutely. Final thoughts?
0: Final thoughts. Um, I've always enjoyed the trilogy episode, so I and this is something that I've probably watched like recent like we watched recently in the last five years. No new surprises, no new big thoughts about the episode. I still think it's uh, kind of the weakest out of the three. As I remember, just because, like I said, it's just building the world for two and three. Um, So I'm interested. I'm looking forward to diving into the other two. How about you?
1: I would agree with that. I will say that for this episode, that kind of the, you know, one of the one of the many master strokes that that Pratt does over the course of the episode is that in doing all of the world building and, and all of the setup for these payoffs in these next two episodes. She, does, she somehow amazingly does not sacrifice the dramatic tension of this particular episode's stakes in order to do that and I think that is kind of brilliant like we have enough dramatic tension to pull us along through the course of this episode mm-hmm. to see Sam save the day at the end like we would with a normal leap while also getting all of this incredible texture and world building like you're talking about and I think that that is... The, that's something that, quite frankly, even some of your standard boilerplate good episodes of Quantum Leap, not great, but good episodes of Quantum Leap, can't always do. They either can't do the world-building, but they get the mission, the tension of the mission right, Yeah. Um, or they do some pretty good world-building, but the tension of the mission falls flat because they spend this time waiting in this other pool instead of, you know, heading for the finish line. And I think that, I think that Pratt does not do either of those things. I think she's able to build the world while also having this wonderful bit of tension that gets us to the yeah. end.
0: Again, reinforcing my argument, I think the series ultimately would
1: have been better if Deborah Pratt just had more control. If I'm an NBC executive right now, working my plan for Peacock, wanting to get it out there <laughs> as soon as possible because sure. people are spending more money on streaming services right now than ever before, mm-hmm. um, I, 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 she's my first call. To, to helm the Quantum Leap reboot, I would agree with that, or at least being a cons- a consultant on the yes. show. Yes,
0: yes, I would agree with that. Yeah, yeah. I just i uh, not not to bring it back around to where we talking about at the start of the uh, the episode with everything going on right now. I am wondering what this is going to do to like any future TV shows or whatever the current situation. Yeah. Because right now, like no TV shows are filming right now. I know everything is on a break. It's it's the- going to be interesting to see. What ideas get shelved? What what goes away as a result of
1: of uh, The sad truth of the matter is, is when it comes to television, uh, something that basically already happened, but it's going to be furthered, is that, I mean, reality TV and game show TV is going to be the fucking soup of the day, man. That's all we're going to get probably once TV really starts back up. It's going to be a while before we see narrative television again. It's going to be what can I make the cheapest and what can I make the fastest? And unfortunately, yeah. hour-long television dramas, especially in the science fiction realm, ain't it? So it's going to be slim fucking pickings. The I'm... only saving grace is is that we've got some studios that are holding things back. Um, you know, they're also releasing a lot of stuff early, but but they're holding some things back. So my hope is is that we'll get some of that held back. But I have a feeling that. It's going to be nothing but Survivors and American Idols yeah. as far as the eye can see. I can't remember if it's the, the
0: person who brought the U.S. version of The Office, that person who brought it to life, or if it's the, the producer of Parks and Rec, one of those, or if it's not the same, I don't think it's the same person, like one of those, somebody is work, already working on a Office-esque sitcom, but it's going to be set in the remote world. Nice. Like they're already like work, And I'm, I'm hoping maybe we'll get a little creative... As far as that goes, I uh, hope so. Yeah, but not to get super morbid, but COVID
1: nineteen, you fucking leave Scott and Dean alone. Oh no, shit! <laughs> you took John Prime, you son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. you, they're, um,
0: they're, they're both in the key demographic groups. Like Scott, like he's like sixty five, sixty six now. He's yeah. getting up there, you know. And he was shooting in Louisiana, which is. That's you know, right.
1: A hot spot. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So let's just, uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 I mean, on a, you know, on a larger note, I hope it leaves everyone that that's listening right now alone. I hope that your loved ones are, are well. And, you know, we, we just, uh, want to just drive home the fact that, um, you know, take care of yourselves, uh, be smart, stay home, wash your hands, all that jazz. Like we're all in this together. It's not easy. Not everyone is experiencing it the same way. Some of us are much, much more fortunate than others are, and uh, I think it's healthy to just put ourselves in check and remember the fact that if we're able to listen to a podcast, create a podcast, binge watch some TV, be safe in our homes, that uh, we are very, 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 very fortunate Yeah. Uh, because there are a lot of people that, that can't do that. And, uh, yeah, it's... Yeah. Uh, it's it's important to remember that, but it's also important to remember that we're all in it together. Eh, no matter what your situation is, you know that, that that we need to help one another and be there for one another, and that and that kindness kindness should rule the day.
0: Yeah, I believe it. I my policy is is like when you say we're all in this together. If you're an individual telling me that, I believe that. If you're a company, <laughs> if you're a company telling me that, I'm like, what are you
1: selling me, fucker? <laughs> Yeah. Companies and politicians aside We're all in this together <laughs> Yes um, And a lot of those
0: uh, Earlier on we posted on our Facebook page We thought that we'd be spitting out a bunch of episodes As a result yeah. of this And that is not the case it Is the reality of uh, Both of us uh, during the work week We are the primary childcare providers Because um, You have a job that's a little bit more flexible I, a massage therapist I'm, I'm basically unemployed now At this point uh, so you and me, we're responsible for taking care of the little ones during the week while, yeah. uh, while our wives are hard work. And I know Jessica she is she works in the banking industry. So yeah. as you can imagine, uh, Betsy, she works she works for a mortgage broker. Um, so that is yeah. they're trying to stay ahead of all of that of everything going on right now. So it's, uh, yeah, interesting times. we're getting the episodes out when we can. Uh, but one of the reasons why we've been slowed down too, is that I am in software coding school. I had my first big project. Uh, the first big project I created is a online quantum leap quiz. Uh, I am not ready to put it out in the world just yet, but (laughs) but once I am ready, uh, I'll make that website live and, and, and put that out there for, for people to try their hand at. For sure.
1: Yeah, I can't wait to see it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because, it, yeah, we would love to be producing more content and being more active. You know, I had all these goals to try to get on Reddit and Facebook more and interact more, and 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 I owe people messages all over the place. Best Corey, okay, yeah. one of our listeners, yes, best yeah. sent us an awesome message, and best, I did not forget or neglect that. I, I am, I am, I am all in, especially when it comes to Doctor Who. So. Uh, we'll certainly uh, follow up with you. Um, but but all of our listeners and everyone who's been participating on Facebook, we really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, if you get a chance to go over and check out the Quantum Leap subreddit over on Reddit, uh, they're still doing that sort of uh, March Madness, um, you know, best episode tournament. Um, a couple of really good episodes have gone down to mediocre episodes, which really pisses me off. But... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> where, where is Portrait for Troy on the list uh, I think it got knocked out actually so, so okay. we're okay on that one uh, Machiko got knocked out but it got way more upvotes than it should have um, so <laughs> okay All right. um, so yeah uh, right now I think uh, Temptation Eyes is losing to an episode that it has no business losing to so uh, go over there and help Temptation Eyes out um, yeah uh, seriously everyone thank you so much for spending some time with us we will be back at some point in the very near future hopefully within the next week um, with Trilogy Part 2 uh, and diving further into the world of Potterville, Louisiana and Abigail Fuller and all of her acquaintances lovers yeah. series.
0: No, yes I was going to read this up I'm going to leave this as a teaser for next one in the next episode I will argue why trilogy is a true trilogy, and the Back to the Future movies are not a real trilogy.
1: Dun-dun-dun! Oh, I can't wait. I can't uh, wait. I've been wanting to rewatch Back to the Future, actually. It's been a while. It's time. It is time. It's time. Hey! Hey! Out, of, right. time. out of time! Out of time! Um, uh, on that we're note, out of time! Let's leap out of here. Have a great week, everyone. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.